As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Studio DNA fans. I'm Chad, a new podcast host here on the network. I'd like to invite you to check out my new show called Hot Takeout, where I mix together some of my favorite things, fast food and musical artists. When you listen, you'll get that feeling you have when you get an onion ring in the bottom of your french fries. It's a win. We'll dig deep with the artists. We'll find out what inspires them and what foods they have to stay away from. And we're also playing fast food games, which will also make sense when you listen. So check out the Hot Takeout podcast streaming right now here on the Studio DNA podcast network live from a bunker in the heart of the ozarks a podcast that knows no matter how big a podcast you think you are there's always a podcast bigger than you it's sif welcome to sif pop weekly streaming live on some weekends uh that are non- uh, corona <laughs> and or available to download later in your podcast feed unless of course you're a patron patron get those perks patrons get those perks i'm your host aaron dicer and each week we'll chat about movies television and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds and get out of there now there's someone else in the podcast woods it's jonathan paula welcome hey thank you for having me on aaron greatly appreciate it. it's been a while uh, we did the math and i've not been on the show since I think it was September of 2017, so a long time, no chat. Yeah. But the quarantine brings out the best in everyone, and I am excited about today's topics, let me tell you. I am glad to have you back. I love chatting movies with you. Uh, you know, and, first- I, and first, and also, I, I think, kind of buried the lead, we hope um, Andrew gets better well. Yes. Had a bit of a, a bit of a dilemma, could not make it to today's recording, so I'm filling in remotely. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, I love chatting with you. Uh, it's great to talk movies. Uh, obviously, Andrew is not with us today. Uh, yes, he, um, I guess, I guess I could just say medical reasons, but I don't want you to worry. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, maybe I should say dental reasons. Is that enough? Yeah, there you go. That's uh, fine. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, he had to have a tooth pulled and, and it's all sorts of fun stuff when that happens. So, you know, it's hard to talk once you've had teeth pulled out of your mouth. I yeah, no, that- I, as a, as a former radio DJ and someone who's had more than a couple root canals in my life due to a, uh, facial injury I had in high school, I can attest that, yes, uh, trying to speak in any capacity when you have like wires and stitching, 
in the roof of your mouth, <laughs> which I don't know that Andrew was quite as bad off as I was right. in this story. But yeah, no, it's it's painful. It's difficult. And talking for an hour uh, is like the last thing you want to do. So yeah. Andrew, hopefully you get uh, better soon. And uh, yeah. yeah. In the he, meantime, I'm happy to be here. He'll be back as soon as he can, I'm sure. But in the meantime, uh, we are glad to have you around. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we've been catching up for the last 20 minutes uh, and decided to use that as our Patreon uh, bonus episode this week. So if you want to hear Jonathan and I catch up on old times, talk about our ailments and our children and you know do otherwise elderly things, uh, you can uh, check that out. Although I should say you are much less elderly than I. You know, I've got a decade on you, so. <laughs> I, I I wear my old dad hat proudly now. I've just accepted it. Have you? I have two. I have two kids. I have a commute. I pay taxes. Like I just feel old. <laughs> have you found yourself uh, punning more often now that you know? Oh, I. Uh, you know me. I I appreciate your puns as much as anyone, and I, I cannot even come close to your dad level humor. But I do my best, <laughs> and if I can get an eye roll out of my wife. It's definitely a high point of my day. That's right. Job well done. (laughs) Job well done. Uh, Yeah, we're going to have a fun show. Uh, It is going to be exciting because we're actually reviewing a new movie, which has a brand new, brand new. It only came out yesterday. (laughs) Came out yesterday, a Friday, brand new movie release. Of course, it is on Netflix because we are all still quarantined. Um, And movies don't exist in theaters anymore. And (laughs) they apparently drive in theaters are trying to do movies now. Yeah. there's a few here in New Hampshire where I live that have made uh, like a, a, a sizable comeback or resurgence, so to speak. And uh, that's something. I mean, you get to stay in your car and breathe in the recycled air of your children's farts. But if you want to make a <laughs> trip to the drive-in and see – I don't know what you would even watch. I, I guess maybe they're still playing Onward or yeah. Fantasy Island. I don't know what's not on digital that you can't just rent at home. But Yeah, that's the weird thing is they can – they you know, because of – the drive-in thing they can do this but i don't i think all the movies have pushed yeah. so there's not like they're new releases coming out um no i i checked the digital calendar just uh, a couple days back and i don't think any quote-unquote new movies actually released on digital or blu-ray last tuesday for probably the first time in a very long time there was just no new like triple a releases it was all just like straight to video hallmark or netflix it wasn't anything because wow. nothing came out nothing's happening what do you think is gonna since i've got you on the line and we we can you know uh have a little bit of chat time here at the beginning of the show before we get into reviewing and stuff but like how where do you think all this is going you know you're a movie lover you're a smart guy you you know technology and such like do you think this is going to change things right away uh how is what do you what do you see that's the million dollar question right is is how is this going to affect society especially entertainment and i think irrevocably, this has done something to the industry. What that is, we don't know yet. I feel like there's going to be a bigger push for digital, and I think there's going to be greater importance placed on that medium going forward that, hey, there is a market. You can release a $40 million, you know, giant action movie like Extraction on Netflix, and people will see it. Um, We saw huge, huge numbers with uh, Tiger King a couple weeks back. That's obviously a a miniseries, not a movie. But, like, clearly there's an audience on these platforms that rivals traditional theatrical releases. I don't think this is going to kill movies completely. People are still going to want to go and see Dune or Tenet or Fast and Furious 9 in the theater opening night. Uh, We're recording this on April 25th, the one-year anniversary of Endgame. And I cannot imagine having to see that at home without that like incredible 
audience reaction that made the experience so much better. Yeah. So I hope that we're going to hold on to at least that. At least for the big tent poles, we'll still have a theater. But I do feel maybe more of a balance that instead of being like 90% theatrical, 10% digital, we're going to see maybe like 70-30 or 60-40 going forward. Where more movies, especially the middle of the road, romantic comedy, lower budget dramas, maybe those go straight to Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus from now on and we kind of make the best of it. But I, there's going to be a lot of businesses that like don't come back from this in full. A lot of mom and pop theaters, like it's, oh, yeah. it's going to be interesting. I, I think theaters, uh, I think this hastened the death of the theaters yeah. as we know it uh, by about five to 10 years, probably. I think this was inevitable at some point, but I, I think this I has agree. hastened it quite a bit. Uh, I was talking about this on another uh, podcast that I record, but my, my guess is that we will come out of this and studios will be very aware of how little they need the, you know, the third person in this, you know, they, they don't need a, right. an in-between person to distribute their content. Um, and that's big news for them. Like if they can figure out a way financially to cut out the middleman, which are the movie theaters, uh, they will, they will do it. And one of the things I think Congress is moving on now at repealing the Paramount, you know, rules, which means that studios will be able to buy theater chains. And I think you very well could see Disney buy AMC and then just yeah. use the actual theater locations as like pop-up amusement parks for their big releases. Go see it on the big screen with a bunch of fans. And we're also releasing it on digital the next week or two weeks later or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think once we kind of go back to that vertical owned and operated sort of integration, uh, like the gloves come off and we can see it, it could be a bad thing. It could be like sort of mon a monopoly aspect of the industry that's not healthy. But at the same time, it could open a lot of things creatively to basically let the you know studios do whatever they want mm -hmm. and just make these tent poles like these big, big releases with nothing else going on. There's no competition anymore theatrically. They can just yeah. kind of run roughshod over the rest of the theater, the rest of the weekend's films. Yeah. Yeah, it's whatever it is, it's it's absolutely going to be interesting to watch and kind of see what happens, but I'm glad I picked your brain on that. I'm I'm always interested in kind of prognosticating with other people and kind of thinking Oh, for sure. Where I think one thing's for certain. Uh, I think Corona has just about killed the handshake. I don't think we're going to be doing that for a while. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's <laughs> kind Oh, yeah, it's kind of ingrained in us. Uh there there are just too many physical people. I myself am a physical touch person. Like, you know, that Oh, me too. I'm I'm a big I'm big on handshakes and hugs, but I feel like at least for a year or two, we're not going to be doing a lot of that. We're going to everyone's going to do their best Howie Mandel impression going forward and could be. We'll make the best of it. Yeah, could be. Could be. All right. Uh, we're excited to get into it. Like mentioned, we're going to uh, review Extraction today, which did just drop on Netflix. We're also going to talk about the best ever Chris Hemsworth movies. So we'll run down our top five uh, Hemsworth films uh, and then, of course, do some buried treasure. Um, but let's kick it off with a review of Extraction. This is an Extraction. So who the play is? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. That's a mythic It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life as of six hours ago.
A black market mercenary who has nothing to lose is hired to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord. But in the murky underworld of weapons dealers and drug traffickers, an already deadly mission approaches the impossible. Uh, Chris Hemsworth stars in Extraction. It is a Netflix production and released on Netflix yesterday. Uh, it's about two hours long and rated R for some really bloody violence. Uh, Indeed. What did you think, Jonathan? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? I think I'm on the low side of liked it. Nice. I think I'm on the medium side of liked it. Uh, I had a good if time there's with a medium, this. If there's a medium side, I didn't know that was an option. I'm probably there too. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I don't think I would see it again. I'm not really sure I would give it a recommendation either. But yeah, I, I, let's get into it because I, I want to hear what you thought about it as well. Yeah, um, I liked it. Uh, I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. Uh, it's an interesting situation because um, the last action movie I watched on Netflix was uh, Six Underground, the Michael Bay yep, uh, yep. Bayfest. Uh, Which I enjoyed. That was really funny. Yeah. This I, movie, Extraction, was not. This was a very serious film and that's what i was gonna say because when i watched six underground which by the way i kind of enjoyed despite yeah. how bay it is in fact i think because they took the governors yeah. off it kind of allowed yeah. it to be something even bigger um so i did kind of enjoy that but this movie doesn't have that it doesn't have the insanity thing but it actually does have a like good action movie sense to it it understands what we care about as an audience, and it understands that it has to stay focused on that and not get too lost. And because of that, I was really with Hemsworth throughout this entire movie. I was with what was going on. I was invested in in his motivations and his goals. Uh, they became my motivations and my goals. And that's, I think, is you know a sign of a movie that's going to keep keep hold of you. I am glad that we're not going to completely agree because generally, when I listen to Sif Pop. I find myself always agreeing with whatever you're saying, which is good because <laughs> your recommendations always ring true. And if you if you say something's good, I'll watch it, and it's almost always good. I happen to disagree with that. I felt like the the big negative for me in Extraction was I did not care about the plot or the premise yeah. or any of the characters. It felt very like threadbare to me that like here's a mercenary, he's been hired to save a kid, and for dramatic reasons revealed in an emotional monologue later, we understand why he wants to save the kid. Mm-hmm. For me, it felt very cliche, kind of shoehorned. Like it was all just service to the action, and the yes. action itself, I thought, was like laser focused. They got the gritty, like hard hitting cuts and choreography. They nailed it, and there were some sequences, especially early on, where Hemsworth dispatches two bad guys in succession: one with a coffee table, then with a coffee mug. Like that stuff worked really well. It was violent. But it had like this kinetic energy to it that just felt real. Like he was really taking these guys out with a lot of like that Australian brute force of his. And that stuff I dug. But when it kind of quieted down and tried to explain things about people or motivations or rival gangs, I was like, I don't, none of this, I don't care about anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. I did. I did. And maybe at the end of the day, that's why maybe I liked it a smidge more than you. Um, because I did connect to his purpose and what he was doing. And I thought the movie did a good job at giving us just enough of that. I agree. The movie didn't lose itself in that. Uh, but it gave us just enough of that, that I didn't feel like I was just watching. I'm going to use an example here. That's going to make people kind of, um, give the eyebrow because I'm going to say the raid, the raid is an example of an action movie that really is just 
action and it's incredible yes. action but it's yeah, ju- yeah, admittedly admittedly incredible some of the best of the decade but right. yeah uh, i think similarly a movie that sort of existed on all flash and not a lot of substance right and in this one i felt a little bit more of the movie taking a little bit of time to help me understand uh the characters in this uh not just Hemsworth, but also this uh boy that he was saving i really enjoyed the evolution of their quote-unquote relationship uh that worked for me um, because again, it was just enough, like you said, to service the action, which is why, you know, we're kind of here in the first place. Um, you know, we know what we're getting into. Um, but it, yeah, it did work for me. I did, uh, like that, uh, enough to kind of hold my attention and kind of keep me invested in what was going on. Um, you mentioned how this movie cuts the action really well. It also uncuts the action yes. really well. We, I'm, we would be remiss if we did not discuss, uh, I within 12 seconds, I like elbowed my wife. I'm like, they're doing a one They're doing a big one And I was so excited. I looked at the clock, 12 minutes of yeah. this sequence that begins on foot, gets into a car, they get out of the car, they run through a couple buildings. I think they get back into a car, all in I'm probably like 15 or 20 separate takes but they were blended together in editing reasonably seamlessly into one consecutive 12-minute like handheld shot that was just like absolutely like a, a, a centerpiece sequence that I think is the one big memorable part of this for me is like how well done that was. I totally agree. I think it's a must-see for anybody who loves film and the yeah. technique of shooting film and shooting action. Uh, I've said before, action movies have the same exact kind of tension to them and chases to them. They have car chases, they have gunfights, they have chases through buildings, they have chases where people have to jump across a roof, they have chases where people fall, they have knife fights, but there are these cliches, right, that are in action movies. And this movie goes, here's all the cliches, but we're never cutting away. And it goes through every single action movie situation setup staple cliche that you can think of but because it does it in such a interesting unique way it doesn't feel cliche anymore it just it feels like you're actually with the characters i was really impressed by that segment really impressed. and it was it was not only was i really impressed from just a technical standpoint i felt it, it added so much emotional tension to the sequence because i was sort of like how are they doing this when are they going to cut away and there was sort of that uh that pent up tension that you needed that release that like when are they going to edit when are they actually going to cut away from this sequence and because it was all done in one long drawn out consecutive thing and there was one fight would sort of daisy chain into the next and that would sort of set up the next sequence where he has to kick down a door and that would go through a window then they're on the street again then they're in a car fight like that sort of connective tissue that never breaks away just ratchets the tension up every single minute it doesn't cut and the result is incredible. It really is one of the best one-take action sequences in a very, very long time. And I just watched Old Boy for the first time uh, this past week, which is also brilliant. And that's famous for having like a really long hallway oneer that was just, you know, back in 2003 was amazing. But I, I feel like Extraction, um, for all of its faults, this one sequence, I think, helped raise the bar of the genre just a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I think it's worth the price of admission, which, you know, is your monthly already, you know, yeah, Netflix whatever, subscription. Whatever we pay, $9, $10 <laughs> yeah. a month? I don't know. Uh, I signed up for Netflix 10 years ago. I don't know what I pay. I think the, the price of admission in this point um, would be your two hours invested in the movie. And I think, you know, it's worth that. It's That scene alone is worth sitting down and pushing play on this. Uh, it is... 
that incredible. I should mention, of course, we know it's not an actual one shot. Yeah. You know, it is it is digitally uh, and, and I and personally, I saw a lot of those seams that doesn't bother yeah. me. I get that there are seams. I understand they weren't distracting. It's just because I know the craft that I know where yes. those cuts are. Um, but it, yeah, they, they had they definitely had a few wish pans over like a wall or the side mm-hmm. of a truck or the camera would kind of zoom into someone's back almost as they were passing frame. Places where it would be obvious to hide edits, and um, you can't really see it, but you know they're there, mm-hmm. which is a sensation I felt when we watched uh, um, 1917. Like, obviously, they didn't, fe- they didn't do an entire feature movie in a single take. That's logistically impossible. But just the choreography to make it look like that, I think, is impressive just in and of itself. Just so we don't get, uh, we don't, we don't get uh, corrected on Twitter or such. Yes, we know there are actual feature-length films that are actual you know, one-takes. Uh, yeah, they're not usually action movies. Correct. Though. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we're saying here. Like uh, with, 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 with uh, you know, fistfights and gunplay and squib right. work and stunts and breakaway windows, like you can't logistically line up 12 minutes. Of, and this is like, this is not like, the sequence doesn't slow down. Like Hemsworth is going a mile a minute for 12 straight minutes, just flat out. And it is relentless. It really is yeah, it's uh, incredible. the centerpiece of the film. I, it's towards the beginning of that uh, that oneer. There's a moment where the camera goes from following the car to in the rear window of the car. Like it just kind of... It like slides into the slides back into seat, the like, back seat, yeah. and I I literally made noises like that's you know, yeah. and it takes a lot for a movie to make me make noises, but I was just like oh, and it was in that moment I was like okay I'm in like let's do this thing. Uh, and- I, I think it's definitely it 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 took what Children of Men built, uh, whatever that was, 14 years ago. Yeah, and that that movie has a great car sequence all done in one take. I think the difference is um, who who that was that Inuratu or or Kuron? Alfonso that was Kuron. Yeah. Um, he actually did it in one take with like breakaway mm-hmm. door handles and like car seats that folded away. This was done with multiple shots, but in the same kind of vein where you you begin to lose track of like, wait a minute, how did the camera get into the back? A minute ago we were, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm having fun here. Like they're doing things that are physically impossible with a ca- if there was actually a cameraman occupying the space, you couldn't physically do these camera moves. It's interesting because it almost takes advantage of the upper hand that animation has had on live action for a long time, which is that the camera can be anywhere shooting anything uh, in animation, whereas live action, you actually have to have a physical camera. And uh, and more and more uh, movies are able to kind of uh, undercut that advantage a little bit. Even live action movies can do some fun stuff. My, My son looked at me. Uh, at one point during the, or I don't know if he looked at me cause I was watching the screen, but he said to me, he said, <laughs> how did the, how did the cameraman jump over that with him? Like when they were jumping right. over buildings and stuff, I'm like, that's the fun, right? Like, how did they do that? Was it all digital? Was it, you know, uh, did he throw the camera? Like, you know, was it a, you know, so you're just trying to figure that stuff out is it's kind of fun. Yeah, no, there was a, a lot of really inventive, uh, I don't know, geography and blocking that needed to be executed for that scene to work. And I think that alone, uh, worth the price of admission, like you said. I wish some of the other sequences lived up to it, and I kind of feel like Extraction um, sort of got rid of all the goodwill early because that, for me, was the best moment of the movie was those 12 minutes. And the climax later on didn't was great. I think it had a lot more emotional weight to it. It was a slower sequence you could kind of get more investment into because you could follow it better. The, whereas the the long one take was more of an experience and less of understanding. 
Um, but by the time we got to the end of the movie, I was not as impressed. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I hear it, it's kind of similar to the feeling I had. I think it was Spectre uh, did, that Mendez did, where he did that incredible opening. Um, yeah, the Day of the Dead in Mexico. Oh, and it ends with the big helicopter barrel roll sequence yeah. thing. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. But then the rest of the movie is kind of like a step down from that. Right, right. And you have to be careful with that stuff. And I think maybe you're right. I think that does. I think Extraction does suffer from that in the later action. Uh, although I think maybe because I was more invested in, again, the uh, the goal of Hemsworth's character, uh, maybe I was still a little bit more into it than you were, um, just not on that same kind of technical level. I guess we should mention this is a debut direction uh, from Sam Hargrave. Yeah. Uh, and who's also in the movie uh, as a, a sniper. Um, oh, I did not know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so he's he's the sniper friend from the, the first uh, battle and then also in the woods. Um, and and uh, more casual viewers might know Mr. Hargrave as the stunt coordinator on uh, some of the MCU films, yes. Endgame and uh, Captain America Civil War. And I think what we're seeing is give these stuntmen action movies. Let them direct. They, yeah. they, they know how to it. do it. Because that's what you're seeing with John Wick. John Wick yeah. was brought to us by, you know, some Atomic Blonde, I think uh, Hargrave worked on as well. Uh-huh. And you can really see it in that. Um, I just, I'm really digging this this new era of, you know, uh, action that understands that, yes, you can hide things with cuts, but you also diminish the intensity with cuts. And to really give the viewer a sense of scale, a sense of space, geography, all that stuff is so important to our investment. And they get that. I think there was, at least I would like to think uh, there was a collective, um, I don't know, rebargaining or repositioning after Taken, the Taken trilogy came out, whatever it was, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And we got a a sort of reflexive agreement amongst the industry, like, okay, this wasn't good. Let's not do that again. (laughs) And a couple years years later, we got John Wick, which sort of understood, like, forget about all the extra stuff. Just get the action right. Slow it down, shoot wide, don't cut, and let the actual stunt performers do cool things, and people will be impressed by it. And the Korean and Asian markets figured this out 20 years ago, but American movies are just now finally catching up, like, okay, what if we just made this look real instead of cutting around it uh, like Paul Greengrass in the Bourne trilogy and just not having any real sense of what is happening? Right. And I think Extraction felt to me like a really good blend of like the action and choreography of a John Wick with like the burned out character and motivation of like Martin Riggs from Lethal Weapon. I think Hemsworth kind of embodied that, like the combat efficiency of Wick with this just like burned out alcoholic uh, Mel Gibson type character. I wish, which is why I wish there was a little bit of humor here, like some lighthearted moments, but it's just so serious yeah. in a way that, in a way that for me wasn't, as palatable. Uh, yeah, let's talk about some of the performances here. You've got Chris Hemsworth, um, and then you've got uh, David Harbour, who shows up in this movie as well. Um, He's always good. Yeah, and I thought Harbour was... This may be one of my favorite Harbour performances, actually. I really liked what he was doing in this movie. He, he has a turn, like, halfway through one of his monologues that I didn't uh, see coming. Maybe I wasn't paying attention close enough, but there was a moment where he said something, I was like, oh, shoot. I thought I thought one thing about his character. Now it's going in a different direction, and the way he played that was just very subtle and believable. And he's he's reliable. You put Harbor in anything, and he's I'll watch it. He's great. He's great, and he does actually offer the very, a few moments of levity 
in the movie, if there is any. He does have, yeah. you know, kind of some levity going. Um, but yeah, and then all the performances around them, I thought were great too. And I just, you know, there wasn't, uh, anybody who I was distracted by and thought, you know, uh, you know, pick up your game. So I wouldn't say I'm looking at this movie going, you know, nominate these people for awards, but I am looking at this movie and saying, you all did your job, a a very well job at, at doing, you know, what you needed to do. So I thought the performances were pretty good down the line. And, and all things considered, we might not have movies again. So Chris Hemsworth might be one of only eight people that actually <laughs> did a movie this year. So it'll be a short. I think. I think. Uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Moss is probably still on the shortlist for Best Actress of 2020 because there's no other movies with actresses in them. Well, and there's another one, Lee Winnell. There's another one who understands how to shoot, you know, action. Yeah, and absolutely. Upgrade and and Invisible Man and yeah, I, I'm I'm really digging this kind of uh, new action style that a lot of these directors are figuring out. Uh, yeah, Chris Hemsworth for Best Actor, David Harbour for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, we'll just go right down the line. Might as well. I mean, at least like a Spirit Award or whatever, like the action movie equivalent of the uh, what, what, whatever. They must have one, right? They must. I'm have sure they do. Movie awards. This was good. This was. I think this was uh, surprising uh, movies for Netflix. One of Netflix's better action releases. I think if you enjoyed John Wick, um, this is going to be right up your alley. It's like a grittier, more. Bangladeshian version of John Wick. He is not in a button-up suit. It's not like refined and professional. This is like let's get into the mud, into the the sewers, and like just beat up on everybody that gets in his way. And I dug that. I uh, I yeah. I I think there's a a bit of an authenticity here that like the Wick movies don't have. You know, the Wick movies are comic books in many ways. You know what I mean? They, like de- the- they definitely exist like just outside of right. real life. Right. In this movie, I think attempts at least to be, you know, more of an authentic kind of our world feel and I think succeeds for the, the most part. I mean, obviously. I would agree with that. I mean, obviously- I, I think there's there's a sense of um, that Chris Hemsworth is a bit of a, a superhero. Right. Especially during those longer sequences. Like, how are you not completely out of breath and vomiting right now? Like, you would be completely spent. Like, this is... <laughs> like, I'm I'm exhausted watching it, and I haven't hopped 20 fences and crashed three trucks, but you have, and you're fine. Okay. <laughs> well, In and, that sense. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Uh, but, it, but again, it's not quite as far as, like, Fast and Furious... Where they're jumping off, right. you know, ten story buildings and landing on their feet. You know, you know what I mean? Like there is it does feel a little more real than even some of our, you know, other action franchises feel. Um, although I will say we probably sh- we probably will do a little bit of a SIF spoil on this uh afterwards and talk a- about some spoilers, because I think there are some um some applicable spoilers to this conversation and kind of what we're talking about that we might wanna Up discuss. In. Uh, in that section. Um, Any final thoughts? I'm just trying to decide if this... I, I'm not sure if this goes in adapted screenplay or in original screenplay at the Oscars. Uh, I'm just trying to... <laughs> <laughs> for, for what it's worth, it was actually written by uh, uh, Joe Russo of the... That's right. Of the, uh, the Marvel's Russo brothers. That's right. He, I just assume that the Russos are only just owned by Marvel now. That's That's what they do. Man, you know, uh, before we kind of transition out, you mentioned Marvel. Uh, Of course, the big news, the moving of the Spider-Man stuff and how that also moved the Doctor Strange stuff. And it's becoming more and more obvious that Marvel and Sony are really playing well together. Like the they are they've got some plans 
on uh, the extended Sony Marvel universe. Uh, I was gonna, if we if we had a, a do we care segment today, I was going to bring up the fact uh, Spider Verse Two has a new release date. Sam Raimi just signed on for Spider Man Homecoming mm-hmm. Three, whatever we're calling that. Um, do you think we're going to get uh, Tobey Maguire back by any yes. chance? Yeah, I I, yeah, I, I so hope so. <laughs> I th- I think the fact that you have Spider Verse impacting both uh, the next Homecoming movie and Doctor Strange is an indication to me that we're gonna we're gonna get some crossovers. And it's yeah, be fun. I think we're crossing into. I think Doctor Strange is crossing into the Spider Verse, and I think that we're gonna get some live action animation. You know crossover i i'm i'm excited i l- listen this stuff geeks me out like i i love the idea that they can play nice enough together to have some fun with this um so when when i saw i don't know if it's kosher to discuss the cameo ending at the end of far from home so i won't reveal it but i will say the cameo reveal at the end of far from home literally made me squeal like a pig <laughs> when i saw it in theaters i was i was giddy i was like hopping off my seat i was just so excited to see this person and uh, if they do more in that vein, I am 100% in. And I, I hope that movie theaters exist when these movies come back so we can have that excitement and, and enjoyment with each other in the theater with audiences because that's the way it needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and, and thus ends our conversation on extraction, uh, talking about the MCU, <laughs> as, it should, as it should be. If- all it's it's sort of like the Godwin theory, right? That all internet conversations eventually lead back to Hitler. All movies eventually lead back to the Marvel <laughs> franchise. <laughs> That's right. That That's... is absolutely correct. Uh, all right, let's talk about Chris Hemsworth movies. Uh, yeah, right on. We're, we're going to go into the best ever challenge. We're going to do best ever Hemsworth films, uh, and uh, and Jonathan's going to try to remember his because apparently. <laughs> Yeah, so I had I had a great cheat code. Whenever you and Andrew do the best ever challenge, I'm like, why don't you just pull up your letterbox profile? It's already done for you. It's easy. And I was gonna do that. And the website is down while we record this and it is still down. <laughs> so I will just go off the Wikipedia filmography of Hemsworth. I have a really good idea of my top three. The other ones um less solid on, but so let's start with you. Okay. Yeah, we could do that. Uh I, I actually have to say before we get into this, speaking of letterbox, I genuinely admire your dedication to the platform um because oh, I, I, I literally have every movie i've ever watched i know rated and logged on that site i know three thousand five hundred and let me pull it up the website's broken i have it on a spreadsheet three thousand five hundred and ninety nine movies wow so tonight will be thirty six hundred well what's what's number thirty six hundred gonna be uh that is a great question maybe Actually, I was going to say Rambo, but that wouldn't count because I've seen it. I wanted to watch uh, Last Blood, and I want to rewatch the old ones first. So those five aren't going to count. So, the fifth, the fifth. so these this is know. this Good isn't question. just like movie viewing experiences. These are individual movies that you've seen. Yeah, unique total. Wow, thirty five ninety nine. That's that's amazing. Anyways, I just before we got into it, I just had to say I I am I bow to your letterbox uh, proficiency. I know you. You you are a big lister, and I am. I am perhaps the only person guesting on this show that is perhaps more. <laughs> I will wear that badge with pride. I love lists. I love charts. I love ranking, rating, comparing them all. I've been doing a challenge this year um, of 111 movies from 111 different years in 111 days, and we just passed 111 days on 
that was April 20th, was the 111th day of the year, and I'm proud to say I finished that goal a few days early. So I watched one movie from every year going back to 1910, and there were 111 movies I had not seen before. I got to see a lot of classics, a lot of silent films that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, and it was a really, really fun challenge to kind of get me to stretch out into genres and especially time periods that I don't usually kind of seek out unless I have a specific kind of goal in mind. And Well, what was your best uh, find? I got to know. What was, what was the one you were like, this is, this is, is the gold. This is the gold nugget. Uh, of all 111, that was the best I had seen for the first time. Uh, that is a great question. I really loved Lawrence of Arabia. That was one I had put off for a long time. A Best Picture winner from 1962. Kind of the cinematic definition of epic. That is a four-hour juggernaut. And I love four-hour juggernauts when they're done well. Um, and another movie that really, really impressed me was uh, Chef with John Favreau. Oh, I love Chef. Such a great it was movie. So, I, it, I watched it late at night. My, my daughter had just been born. and I think I was feeding her at the time. She was only like two weeks old. And I was just in like an emotionally putty state i was ready to kind of let a good feel good movie wash over me and that was uh you know exactly what the doctor ordered so i think maybe those are my two favorites so far this year of movies i had not seen yet well and it's such a metaphor for favreau's movie directing career you know you can see that he really identifies with the idea of you know chef itself is his food truck you know like mm -hmm. the movie itself is uh and yeah i i really dig that movie it makes me want to grill cheese like right now yeah, no, the food looked good. The, the everything. We don't need to talk with Chef right now, but brilliant sure we do. film. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> it's a brilliant film. If you have not seen it, uh, seek it out. And some old, old movies too, like uh, The Thief of Baghdad and the original Ben Hur from 1924 and 25, oh, there you respectively. Go. Yeah. Those were movies I was like, holy crap, like these are like legitimate, impressive movies way back before they had sound. Douglas Fairbanks is just like hopping over 17 foot walls like it's his job, which I guess it was. And. <laughs> Uh, yeah, those old movies, the big ones, really impressed me. And anything by Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, I'm, I usually enjoy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fun so I stuff. I, I feel like a lot of people, especially folks my age, sort of older millennials, don't give silent films a lot of um, chances, don't really seek them out or watch them. And I feel like there's a lot of really good stuff made in the 19-teens and 1920s, and more people should watch them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, into our best ever Chris Hemsworth movies. We'll start at number five, work our way to number one. Uh, I have Star Trek at number five. Um, uh, of course, Chris Hemsworth, this is... Now, is this where I would say uh, that I want to talk about it later? <laughs> sure, I yeah. How, we can, I forget how yeah, we do no, no, this. No, 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 we've kind of gone back and forth on that. Um, yeah, let's do Trump rules. Uh, all right. Well, can we call it something else uh, yeah, these days? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll bump. We'll, we'll bump that later. I want to talk about that a little later on the list. All right. Uh, we'll talk about Star Trek in a bit. What's your number five? This is tricky because I wanted you to talk first, so I could have more time to figure out mine. Because my my thing broke. I want to say at at five, it's toss up between Vacation or Ghostbusters. Ooh. Those are both movies I think were maybe maligned unfairly. They're both like six or sevens out of ten for me. They're like really fun movies, especially because of Hemsworth. And I think. Without him, those movies don't work. But his addition into both of those uh, recent reboots, whatever you want to call them, requels, he worked really well. And I thought the Ghostbusters remake with the all-female cast from 2016 was pretty fun. He was excellent. And his part as like the charming, I don't know, sex guy in Vacation was also hysterical. And that movie, I think, was I think way better than most people gave it credit for. Yeah, I didn't love either one of them, but Hemsworth's filmography is reasonably bare. 
I haven't seen In the Heart of the Sea yet, which I hear is one of his better ones. And everything else we'll talk about next. <laughs> well, if I can scare you away from In the Heart of the Sea, I hated that movie. I, I okay, there was, you go. <laughs> I thought it was awful. But like, I'm I'm looking at his filmography. Like, I don't think you're going to have Snow White or Perfect Getaway or Red Dawn on your top five. Right, right, yeah. You know, like it's he's a- all, he's and oh, I, we should, probably should clarify, Aaron, that um, we put a self-imposed one Marvel movie. Correct. Limit on this top five. Because otherwise, it would probably just be the Thor trilogy plus the Avengers. Like, that would probably be my top five. Uh, I don't know that it would be for me, but yeah. But I actually, thought... that's I, you're right. Thor 1 and 2 are not great. <laughs> I will say, yes, one Marvel movie we decided uh, we could include on our list. Because um, I almost did Best Ever Chris Hemsworth outside of the MCU, and I thought, no, we should, we should put an MCU movie on there. It's more representative. Uh, but you're right. He has a very you know, small filmography. I think it says a lot about his choices that actually, I think the majority of those movies are good movies. Uh, and so that's, you know, I'm, I'm excited to talk about some of them. Uh, interesting choices, uh, vacation and ghostbusters. I have very similar feelings about those, uh, that they are fun enough movies to watch, but I didn't come away from them, you know, blown away or feeling like I had to tell the world about them, uh, kind of. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same. And actually now that I'm looking at the list, bad times at El Royale might be, Slightly better than those two, but I'll stick with my picks. All right, your 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 number four. My number four is Rush. Um, which is, I have that at number four as well. Well, there that works out very very nicely. Uh, yeah, I this movie really caught me by surprise. Um, it was in a what year was the movie Rush? I was trying to remember. Two thousand thirteen. And I had just uh started into the uh, critics choice association in like 2012 ish and so it was like either my second or third year in the association and i was just you know getting all these screeners and i was just putting stuff in and i was like oh okay this is you know chris hemsworth and um is it uh brule daniel brule and uh, and I think Ron Howard directed it, and I was like, Ron oh. Howard did, yep. And I th- we'll see what this is, and I threw it in, and it just owned me. I was just like, this is a great. That's no, really solid. It's really good. Yeah, I think if you pair this up with um, the movie that just came out with all the race cars in it, what was that called? Those are both back to back. If you watch both of them, they're excellent. Uh, the one with um, Matt Damon and oh, Ford v Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like both of those movies kind of exist in, in my head canon, kind mm-hmm. of adjacent to each other. Uh, and both of them, I'm not a big race car guy at all, um, but both of these movies I walked through going like, okay, cool. I love cars now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I got the exact yeah. same feeling I, 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 I was invested in the space. I wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to look these guys up because both movies are, are biographical. They're both based on real people. And after Rush, I was like, I want to learn more about you know, Hunt and, and, and the Formula One circuit and like how this came to be. And uh, it's all about the old days, the 60s and 70s of racing. And yeah, Hemsworth is great in it. It's yeah. a very fun. Ron, Ron Howard is a, a reasonably uh, consistent director, and I've always enjoyed his work too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Uh, I think Daniel Brühl's great in it as well. Uh, I love the uh, juxtaposition between their two personalities, their two characters, uh, and kind of how they're going about uh, the same thing in such different ways. Uh, and how they learn to respect each other. Like, it's just, there's a lot of really good stuff in here uh, that I think uh, Howard pulls off really well. So, good stuff. Right on. Uh, all right, so I guess it's my number three then. Um, yeah, because I guess we shared one. So, yeah, number three. Uh, my number three is Cabin in the Woods. That is also my number three. Oh, we're going to have the same list. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> I told you, we agree on a lot. <laughs> whenever I'm listening 
to, to Sif Pop on my commute, I'm like, yes. I'm just aggressively nodding my head in traffic. <laughs> like, yes, Aaron, yes, preach it. Um, Cabin in the Woods is a movie I got on a, a recommendation from a friend, and I'm very thankful that he told me, watch it, sight unseen. Do not look anything up. And I went into this cold. I trust you did too because you're a no-trailer guy mm-hmm. like me, Aaron. Yep. And the movie takes a turn 35-something minutes in, and it's like, oh, my God, what is happening? In one of the best subversive screenplays of the 2000s, um, fantastic movie, and I think underrated. I feel like not a lot of people know about it. I think in film circles, it's properly rated. Uh, Hopefully, I hope so. The people, the people who know about it, you know, know it's good. I think it's got uh, in the '90s on Rotten Tomatoes, and oh, that's good. I like to hear that. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, 92 on Rotten Tomatoes, seven out of ten on IMDb, 72 percent on Metacritic. Uh, so it's it's well rated by those who have seen it. Um, I think the general population probably just you know, depending on if if they're horror fans or not. Uh, yeah. have either missed it or seen it. So, um, but yeah, I, I back up all of that. I think it's, uh, it's a brilliant conceit. Uh, this is uh, Drew Goddard uh, directing it and uh, writing it with Joss Whedon. Uh, so Joss uh, Whedon and Drew Goddard wrote it. Uh, and you can just feel that cleverness in it. Um, yeah, and- it, it, has a, it has a very sharp screenplay, a lot of w- self-aware, witty dialogue, and Hemsworth goes like full tilt into like the smarmy, tall, blonde hero role. And they kind of turn that on its head in the most amusing way. Uh, if th- this, this is a movie you haven't seen and you're not familiar with, we should stop talking now so you can enjoy it. <laughs> I will it, just... it is a lot of fun, though. I haven't seen it, I think, since it came out, and I would not mind a rewatch. Oh, you should. Yeah, this is definitely a fun rewatch. Uh, this is a good rewatch. Um, I will throw out the names Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford with no oh, context, so good. but they're uh, so good. They are so good in this movie. Um, well, very nice. So I guess I'll mention my number two now, which I know actually for a fact is not your number two, um, uh, because you said you might slot it at number five. I have another Drew Goddard at number two. I have bad times at the El Royale this high. All right. Uh, that is a good film. I, I think, honestly, I think I did rate it higher than vacation. Um, but uh, let's yeah talk about it. This this is a good film. I this is the film that confirmed to me that Drew Goddard is just like has my number. Like just his <laughs> the, his sense of humor, his cleverness. Um, there are some uh, some it's not really metaphorical. Uh, I'm going to say s- symbolism. There's some really beautiful symbolism in this movie uh, that has to do with the two sides. You know, a, a hotel that's in. Um, you know, two states, Nevada and California, and, right on the state line. Yeah, and he, the way he uses that conceit to also inform the story and the characters and the choices. It's a movie about choices, coin flips. Uh, you know, there's. It, it felt a bit like I don't want to like just parse it down to a this first. It felt a bit like Tarantino's take on a Clue movie, right? Like a contained murder mystery, but done in a sort of quirky, violent dialogue heavy way and all of the scenery chewing from like jeff bridges just works um i i really enjoyed this one too yeah the the stuff from jeff bridges is so great uh john ham so interesting story when i watch this movie and i don't think i'm giving anything away uh, if i'm careful about how i say this but he starts his performance in a way and i was like oh that's not what <laughs> like john like I see what you're trying to do here, but you're not quite there. And then there's a realization in the movie that he was playing it perfect. And it's yeah. just, it's one of those things where a movie was ahead of me. 
and was like, Gaha, gotcha, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, oh, that was really well done. I was really impressed with Ham's performance. Uh, this is where I fell in love with Cynthia Revo. Um, I think she's astonishing in this film, uh, both performance and vocally, the stuff that she does here. Um, I think this is the only movie of hers I have seen because I haven't got around to Harriet, Harriet yet, which she was nominated for. But yeah, I agree. Everyone in this, uh, even um, uh, Dakota, Dakota Johnson, Johnson yeah. was like, hey, wait a minute. She can actually do really well. <laughs> right? If you've only ever seen her in the Fifty Shades trilogy, it's like, oh, wait a minute. She's actually talented. Uh, it was the script, as I think we all suspected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's a talented actress. Um, Cynthia, by the way, is also in Widows. And if you haven't gotten around to seeing- uh, I have not. Widows, that's, I think, one uh, that you should check out because um, there's some some really interesting stuff going on in that movie, too. But yeah, Normally, but- this is where I would enthusiastically say, I'll put it on my list, but Letterbox is down. I can't do that, <laughs> so I will, I will write it down on a piece of paper like a, like a pleb. Like a, like a troglodyte. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Bad Times at the El Royale has my number. I really dig it. Um, I, I dig the conceit of it. It's very Hitchcockian. You're right. It's also Tarantino-ian. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of influences that you can see. And actually, if I have a negative with the movie, it does feel over-influenced at some point. You know, it, it feels yeah. like it, it wears its influences on its sleeve. I think that was the big reason why I didn't really love it. I think I gave it a 7 out of 10 because it felt maybe too silly or a, a bit too over-torqued at times. Mm-hmm. Like it was too too flashy and too pulpy. And I enjoyed that, but it maybe it could have serviced itself better by being a little more serious at times. But it was definitely enjoyable, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the movie is great. Uh, and that's my number two. What do you got at number two? Uh, number two is Star Trek. Okay. Uh, Hemsworth is only in basically a cameo in the first, uh, whatever, five, ten minutes as uh, Captain Kirk's dad. Uh, but that cold open to Star Trek, that reintroduction into the final frontier when they rebooted the entire franchise, that worked so well. We, in five minutes, J.J. Abrams was like, here's what I'm doing. Here's going to be the style. Here's the action. Here's the actors. And here's how I'm going to present it. Everything worked. And I immediately connected to this new retelling, this concept, this style. He does go heavy on the lens flares in this movie. That might be my only con. I watched it again a few months back, uh, I think for the fifth time, and I cannot think of a movie, at least a remake, that has better casting than Star Trek 2009. That's exactly what I was going to say, yeah. They absolutely nailed the characterizations from Quinto and Zach Pine and Zoe Saldana and Hemsworth too, just in his short, short part. You need that gravitas. You need that, like, hero moment from him. And he does it with, like, five lines of dialogue. You believe it. Star Trek is such a good – probably my favorite Star Trek film actually is the the 2009 remake. I agree. And when it came out, it was uh, widely loved. Critics loved it. Uh, Audiences enjoyed it. Uh, There were some elements of the Star Trek fandom – that had that kind of derided it. Yeah, that had some issues with it. We know that's normal. That's you know, fandom yes. has its its things. Um, but I feel like over time, because this was eleven years ago now, um, I feel like it's kind of slid into being underrated at this point. I don't, you know, feel like when people talk about the Star Trek franchise that they, uh, you know, remember how good this movie is. Um, it's really well done, and like you said, it is a testament to the power of casting, even beyond those main. Ones that you mentioned, uh, Carl. Yeah, John Cho as as Sulu and uh, Anton the le- the late uh, Anton Yelchin as Chekhov. 
across the board, every single person, Bruce Greenwood as Captain Pike, they did such a good job nailing those people. And if, if uh, anything could be said about J.J.'s sort of eclectic filmography and history, as he kind of a divisive guy, um, whomever he has casting, the Lost Pilot, that entire show, it went in a different direction. But the casting, they got that right. The best part about the Star Wars sequel trilogy, I think, are the actors. Yeah. And I think that is cons- a consistent through line in J.J.'s career is he finds the right young, mostly untapped talent. There were a couple of people, uh, I think Quinto was in NBC's Heroes, mm-hmm. and Chris Pine had been in a couple projects before this, and Saldana had just done Avatar, but she wasn't really famous yet. And for whatever reason, like he's able to find these people and discover them and put them up in these big budget films. And people like... Um, uh, what's his name that played uh, Dr. McCoy? Like, they're all perfect. Every single person in this movie is perfect. Yeah, Carl Urban. Carl, uh-huh. yeah. he's He was, like, sublime casting with him. He's so yeah. good. The only one you didn't mention was my man Simon Pegg as uh, oh, that's as right. Scotty yeah, as Scotty. well. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 an incredible film, and I have no problem with you having it uh, at number two, which means we both had MCU movies at number one, I'm assuming. Um, yes. And I'm curious as if it's the same one. I'll go first. Uh, I have Infinity War. Uh, as Ooh. the best Chris Hemsworth MCU movie. Uh, I have Endgame because I prefer endings. <laughs> <laughs> but it's basically a coin flip. It's like Empire and Return of the Jedi. I love them both equally like they're my own children. Um, at the end of the day, the tie for me goes to Endgame because that's where I had the emotional uh, catharsis, like the release of actually seeing the end of the story. I think plotting and action, Infinity War might be the better standalone film. Because um, Endgame doesn't work without anything before it. Um, but if you have watched those other 21 movies, Endgame for me was like the absolute peak of cinematic high. Oh, and, yeah. Um, it, was, it was so good. Both movies are just like – that's that's like my bread and butter, Aaron. I, I love unab- – I am an unabashed uh, Marvel fan. I love to watch like old 100-year-old silent films, but – Give me like a good popcorn movie, Iron Man shooting up something in space. Like I'm totally there. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we're far enough uh, uh, from it that that this won't this won't be too hurtful a spoiler for those who somehow haven't seen it. But those it mom- made three billion dollars. You've seen it already, <laughs> right? The uh, the uh, the moment uh, you know you're talking about those crowd moments and the yeah. Mjolnir uh, Captain America moment uh, is the single most adrenalized moment I've ever experienced in a theater. Um, it was a year ago today. Like, I'm going to post about it on Facebook after this podcast because it was one of those, it was the single greatest moment I've ever had watching a movie, full stop. Yeah. And the fact that Chris Hemsworth is in that scene as part of that, it, it has to put Endgame for me at the top of this list. I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, my... Why do you, why do you like why do you like Infinity War? Man? I let's, think let's you kind of hint, I think you kind of hinted at it. I think it's the better overall movie, and uh, I think you're right. Some people would disagree with me. I think you can't have Endgame without Infinity War, but I actually think Infinity War stands on its own if it had to, um, because it. Does, I agree. It, I, I think it does have. I, I derided it for not having an ending. It does have an ending. I just don't like it. Right. Yes. Because <laughs> I I want that big superhero team up where they all get together and then just you know lay whoop ass on Thanos and we got that in Endgame. Infinity War is the opposite, and it's like oh. Okay, like, yeah, structurally, emotionally, from a screenwriting standpoint, having everyone snapped in half makes sense. I don't like that. I want to see my heroes win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is it is something for me where I look at Infinity War as this beautiful opportunity 
for the Marvel creators in the way they think about, you know, all their stuff fitting together to say, okay, we get to make a movie where the bad guy is the protagonist and we get to make a movie where the bad guy accomplishes his goals. Like, what does that look like? What does that feel like? We actually get to experience this movie that really can't exist. You can't make a superhero movie where the bad guy wins. It's just, you know, it's against type, but they had this single opportunity to actually do that. And I think you can see how they relished the ability to make that make sense, make it work, make it feel real. Um, You know, uh, we know we have baggage, right? We know that most or all of these characters are coming back. We know that, right? Um, Oh, and it still works. And it still works. Yeah, I just I think it's an I think it's incredible movie making. I think as far as filmmaking goes, it is uh, in storytelling goes, it's some of the most impressive work. Uh, I, I I when I reviewed this proper on my YouTube channel, uh, whatever it was two years ago when it came out, I think I opened my review by saying like the most ambitious movie ever made, and I cannot think of another production that was more challenging for a group of directors and producers to get together like twenty five separate like A list lead actors. And mesh them into one big interwoven story like Infinity War did. Endgame had a like an easier time, as as sort of paradoxical as that sounds, because you had a smaller cast and you sort of know where it had to go. Infinity War was open-ended. We didn't know how this was gonna run when we got into the theater. We suspected it would be part one of a part two, but Disney and Marvel kept denying it. They're like, no, it's gonna be a standalone thing. Don't it's gonna have its own ending. It won't tie into the next movie. And everyone kind of, you know, called their bluff and we were right, but Going into that, what they were able to accomplish by weaving all these different people together who had never shared the screen before and making it seem like they were old friends, like every shot with Star-Lord and Spider-Man, all of those scenes worked like they were old friends, like these movies have been going on forever and they have never done a picture before. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I thought Onward really worked, because we had Chris and Tom Holland like jiving off that same energy. And there was so many things about both Infinity War and Endgame that worked because of that, all of the foundation they had built in all those other movies. I, I think they have laid, uh, they have blazed a trail for uh, the idea of expanded universes in a way that they've they've really taught some lessons. And I think, yeah, I, I think the 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 thing they did that makes it so euphoric is they took the the absolute strengths of serialized storytelling that we usually see on television. And the absolute strengths of cinematic storytelling that we usually see at the theater. And big budgets, big it, scenes, lots of actors on location shooting. And put them together. And so yeah. you have the best of what makes TV awesome and the best of what makes movies awesome. And of course, you know, for me, I'm saying this, you know, this is a personal thing for me. Everybody has their different tastes. But, um, but yeah, it just, it works. And I think all of a sudden, uh, I think... Uh, producers and studios are, are starting to realize, oh, there is something here where we can build to something. Uh, I think DC's mistakes are very obvious to people who are they paying attention. They put the cart before the horse. Exactly. And so, yeah. you know, I think people are going to start to figure it out and and we may see some new universes start to build up. Um, so, including the... I can only hope because if they're, if they're half as good as Endgame, uh, they're going to be excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have nice. you actually have you finalized your uh, yeah well first of all let's let's put a bow on that I think we've wrapped up our top five Hemsworth films yeah it was nice we kind of had uh, we had the full uh, Infinity War Endgame at number one we got to so you know we had the full thing there uh, I think we- if if I had put Bad Royale at five do we just have the exact same five movies uh, the two MCU's at one Star Trek 
uh, El Royale, Cabin in the Woods, and Rush, right? Is yeah, yeah. We just swapped Star Trek and Bad Times. Okay. Yep. I'll take it. I'll live with it. Uh, I do. I do want to throw out love for Vacation, though, because Hemsworth. The movie's not excellent, but Hemsworth is so good in it. There are a couple others that I, you know. Again, small filmography, but a couple others that bear mentioning, um, which uh, Twelve Strong uh, is at least worth mentioning. It's not great, but it's worth mentioning. I don't think I've seen that one. Um, and then Jay and Silent Bob, uh, the reboot, which came out last year. Um, I did not care for that movie. I thought it was quite bad, even by Kevin Smith standards. And But Hemsworth's short little cameo as, him, as a, holograph, a hologram of himself uh, – funny he's very funny yeah he really does the what would you call it a himbo he really does that that himbo thing <laughs> you know really really well um and i have to say uh if, if you don't mind a little bit of a name drop uh when i met chris hemsworth no I, please name drop i love these stories <laughs> i i was like i have never seen a human specimen that gorgeous before oh, he's in my a, life he's a very attractive it's, guy it's insane <laughs> in person uh, I guess like six foot five, chiseled abs, like just absolute square jaw, gorgeous hair. He's yeah. fantastic. He's he's great. And what I love about a lot of these like cameos, like Vacation and Jane Son Bob, is he leans into that. Like yeah. he knows he's like God's gift to humanity, and he's just like, yeah. What do you want to do about it? I love me too. <laughs> uh, he was There's also- a line in Silent Bob where, or, or in that the cameo where he says something like. I hope you have a great day because your hem's worth it. And it's so dumb and cheesy, but like it works because of how charismatic this guy is. Yeah. No, it's it's all real. It's it's real in person too. He was very polite, very kind. Uh and uh it was I'm a always po- glad to I'm always glad to hear that celebrities I like are also nice in person. Yeah. Because when know. you hear when you hear stories to the opposite effect that it's like, oh, that kind of I want to enjoy this guy's filmography, but if he's secretly in a death cult or he's like a racist <laughs> or whatever, it's like I, I watched the James Wood movie recently and I was kind of biting my tongue a lot because like uh, he is great, but also he's a bad bad person in my life and I don't <laughs> want to enjoy his performance, but it is a good performance. I uh, I, I have to say I am probably not the person to to be able to judge that because when I meet them they are very much on their game. Uh, oh you yeah, know, they're, it's an they're award. at events. They're in yeah, suits. Yeah, yeah. I, I've only had of the many experiences I've had over the last ten years, the uh, or I guess eight years. The, the I've had three experiences that I would call mediocre, where it was just it was obvious they weren't interested in glad handing yeah. and doing those kind of things. And I don't blame them. Even those experiences, I'm like, I don't blame you. Everybody in the room wants to say hi to you. Like, I get it. Like, it's got to be tiring. So I don't, you know, but overwhelmingly, the people I've met have just been, you know, uh, been kind and nice. For, for what it's worth, I love seeing uh, your feed the day after the Critics' Choice Awards, where you're just like unloading all the selfies you took with the celebrities the day prior. Yeah. Um, so do not feel shamed. You should <laughs> please let me live vicariously through that. Fair enough. Fair the enough. only celebrity I've really seen in person recently uh, was Gene Simmons at a Pinkberry last time I went to a YouTube convention <laughs> in L.A. Um, and he did not he had he did not want anything to do with my friend and I because I was I was having my own food at the next table over and my friends like is that Gene Simmons I'm like uh, almost certainly it is not a lot of people look like him and he's like I'm gonna go ask him for a photo I'm like oh man don't do that he's trying to eat his food like leave him alone <laughs> and and then he said well well let's wait till he's done then you can come with me I'm like okay. And we did, and Gene was was polite, but definitely in the mediocre category of like, please leave me alone so I can yeah. go back to my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, you ready to move on to the buried treasure? Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, we're going to talk about something in pop culture uh, that we've seen recently that we want you to know about. Oh, I guess I should say before that, Sif uh, Pop members, thank you so much for supporting uh, the Sif Pop universe. Uh, we have our own little expanded universe now. Uh, we've got this podcast, we've got the website, lots of fun stuff going on there. The writers at Sif Pop are having a great time uh, doing best ever challenges there, um, as well as some other fun stuff. Uh, so, yeah, we're having a great time with Sif Pop, and we can really only do it because of you, uh, your support is what keeps it going. Uh, so thank you for that. That's at patreon.com slash siftpop. It starts at three bucks a month. You can check out the different thank yous and perks that kind of go along with it. Um, but from my heart to yours, uh, especially during this time, thank you so much uh, for keeping Sift Pop strong and going. We appreciate it. Uh, well said. Oh, thanks. All right, let's let's uh, let's do the buried treasure then. Uh, I'll let you go first. Right on. Um, so I was going to talk about Letterbox actually, because I think it is such a, an invaluable resource for cinephiles like ourselves to interact with other people. It's a social networking site, for those who don't know, about movies. Uh, so if you watch a movie, you log on and you write down when you watched it, what rating you give it, and you can write a review from five words to 5,000. And you can then see all the other people that reviewed it at the same time or the same week that you did. And I think after IMDb got rid of their community uh, thread section, this has been my go-to place. After I watch a movie, I can log on to Letterboxd. Let's see what other people's thought about the movie Extraction. And I love it for that. And just being able to keep track of my own film-watching habits. And they, they integrate all these lists and charts so you can see how many movies I watched last week, how many movies I rated a 10 in the year 2008, how many movies I've watched in the country of China over the last decade, all sorts of stats that I love. Of course, they only work if you put in the data, and I've been doing it uh, religiously for 10 years now. But the website's still down. So <laughs> instead, <laughs> I want to quickly just mention uh, Pixar shorts. And I think not a lot of people, not enough people, appreciate a lot of the great work that Pixar's putting out sort of on the side, under the radar. And after having kids, especially my two-year-old daughter, being able to put on like a five-minute Toy Story short is a lifesaver. She loves them. I love them. They are touching. They're emotional. They have all the magic that the feature lengths do. And they're only like five minutes long. Riley's First Date, the little spinoff from Inside Out, is perfect. I love it. They are like these bite-sized little appetizers. You can find a lot of them on YouTube. And I feel like a lot of people haven't watched uh, like Frozen Fever or Partysaurus Rex and they are great, and more people should check them out. Totally agree. Uh, you know me, big Pixar guy. Uh, I know. I know you, you. This is not for you, Aaron. I know you've probably seen every one of these. <laughs> I have. You got a you got a cardboard cutout of uh, every character from The Incredibles, <laughs> probably over your bed. But um, over my do you, bed. Do you actually do you have a favorite uh, Pixar short? Maybe one that I haven't. Oh found? man, I, I love them so much. Uh, I always dig the unique ones. Uh, Day Day and Night is one of my favorites. Okay. Um, yeah. The uh, sometimes I forget the names, but uh, for the birds is one of my early favorites. Uh, uh, of course, Jerry's uh, is it Jerry's game? Uh, I... I think the one where he plays chess um, is really great. I think so. I, it's been a while since I've seen that one. I do know it. Uh, not to be confused with, I think the horror movie Gerald's Game. I think those yep. are, <laughs> those, yeah, are those are completely different. Completely separate production. Uh, so yeah, the one with the uh, stork. I forget what that one's called. Oh, partly cloudy. I think is that that one. Uh, okay. Also really great. Uh, La Luna 
is one of my favorites. La Luna is beautiful. I gotta, I gotta write some of these. I actually, I was referring more to a lot of the spinoffs, like the little mm-hmm. uh, sort of adjacent material they kick out underneath the franchises when they can't afford a full sequel. They'll just give you a, a you know a five minute sure. short to onward instead, and those I like because I already know the character. Early, so I should say my daughter mm-hmm. likes them. Uh, but the stuff you're recommending is good too. Uh, Mike's new car is uh, uh, Monsters yep. uh, Inc. Um, short film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, if you don't know, if you have Disney Disney Plus, uh, the Pixar shorts are now under a category of what's called Spark shorts, uh, because nice. Pixar has stopped uh, producing them for the films. They are now produ- producing them for digital release because they're basically this is a way for them to uh, build up new talent uh, is to put them on short films and you know creative things like that. And some of these Spark shorts are really really good. There's one called Wind. That is just beautiful, and um, I would highly recommend you you check out the Spark Shorts on Disney Plus. Um, Wind, Float, uh, Kitbull, um, which was up for an Oscar nomination last year in short film, uh, was also a Pixar Spark Short. Uh, Pearl, Smash and Grab, Loop. There's several of them there that are just really well done. I'm, I'm glad I snuck in the letterbox mention because you. I feel like you totally stole my buried treasure. <laughs> well, but just, thank you. You just picked I, a great I, buried treasure. It was well, unmined. Well, well, how's how's the quote go? If you if you come at the king, you best not miss. <laughs> I I, sh- I should have known mentioning anything Pixar adjacent to Aaron Dicer would get me just slapped down. Like you're in the like this is the big leagues, kid. No, I was propping you up. I wasn't slapping no, you well, down. No, I appreciate it. I, well, this is you took my recommendation and ran with it tenfold. So I appreciate this. Giving me stuff to look at now. Oh, it's great. This, right. Those Spark shorts are great. Yeah, and, and a lot of those unique um, original uh, cinematic shorts are great too. But I, I, am I wrong in assuming that maybe a lot of people haven't seen? the half a dozen like Toy Story shorts that Pixar's made over the years? No, no, I don't think you're wrong. And There's like seven of them. They've made at least like five or six different Toy Story like mm-hmm. side quills. And I don't think many people know about them, even though all four feature films are like universally lauded. Not a lot of people have watched like Lamp Life or Small Fry. Right, yeah. And no, they're pretty good. They're really good. You know, another um, uh, property adjacent one that I love is Burn E, uh, which is adjacent to Wall E. Oh, I think uh-huh. I watched that when it came out years ago, but I, I I need to rewatch that one. Yeah, that's that's a really good one too. Uh, oh, and I have to min- sorry, sorry. This is no go. This, please, this, please. This. I'm like literally writing this stuff down. <laughs> this uh, is good. Piper is so good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is a brilliant one. Um, yeah, that's one of the best ones too. Okay, uh, on to my buried treasure. Uh, as I was finishing up uh, the movie last night on netflix i was like oh look another new movie on netflix why don't i why don't i just do a double bill uh so i watched the willoughby's uh the animated film uh that netflix just put out and it's pretty good um you know Uh, your voice went up an octave so (laughs) something tells me well the, the reason is I'm not sure how to trust myself right now because I miss movies a lot. And, you know, it's kind of just nice to watch movies. And I also have a new setup that uh, I've been working towards for a long time. And I've got a nice theater set up downstairs now. Ooh, pray tell. And so when I watch stuff downstairs with the big sound and the big screen, it's kind of like being in a movie theater. And it just kind of elevates the experience. And so I thought this movie was gorgeous. I thought the animation was interesting and different. Um, the movie takes the uh, the cliches of animation and really subverts them. Um, so a lot of what's going on here is almost shocking in some ways. Uh, how like 
uh, some of the, I don't want to spoil anything, I guess. I, and, I, want, I, I want you to know I, I added it to my watch list on Netflix literally a minute ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, like before you even finished your first sentence, it was already on my list. You <laughs> sold me. I'm already in. I don't watch trailers. You convinced me of that a few years ago to just go cold turkey on that. Um, and generally, if anyone even remotely recommends it, I'll, I'll put it on my list. I don't know when I'll get to it, but it's on there. Well, I got to tell you, uh, the uh, you know Martin Short is in it. I think Martin Short's hilarious. He, d- he does okay. a, a voice in it that's great. Uh, Jane Krakowski, uh, who you might know from 30 Rock, uh, oh, sure. yeah. is doing great work in it too. Terry Crews, who is a lot of fun, is doing voice work in this. Will Forte. Um, Alicia Maya Rudolph and Ricky Gervais, according to the description. Yes. And uh, Alicia Cara, uh, who you may know from uh, the song's uh, I think she did the Scars song. Too, it was so popular. Too close, right? Yes. Think of the same Alicia Cara. Yeah, I think so. Um, Just too close to love you. And yeah, that's her. Yep. No, that's Alex Clare. I got it mixed up. I'm sorry. I think. Yeah, I was thinking of the Scars to Your Beautiful is the song I was thinking of. Yep. Um. So so anyhow, she is in this too, and and there's also of course a song that she does, and it's really well done. I I just. <clears throat> Again, I don't know how much to trust myself, but I did have a good time and I did enjoy it. And I thought it was unique enough that I was already in. Like if you talk about the price of admission for your time for this one, it's how unique the story turns in this are. I, I really didn't think they would be. They're kind of bold. It makes some really bold choices. And, Is it safe for kiddos under two? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, 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 I mean, every kiddo is different. Um, and there might be something in this, like say in a Pixar movie that might be scary, you know, you know, you've got the Barracuda at the beginning of Finding Nemo, you've got, you know, there are just, there are things in kids' movies that might be scary. And there's certainly some of that here. Uh, and there are certainly jokes here that will fly over their head. Um, and, uh, but they're pretty subtle and actually pretty clever, which I appreciate. Uh, so yeah, it's a recommend. It's the only reason it's a hesitant recommend is just because again, it's such a weird time and I, you know, maybe if I, I, I think if anything, that, that qualification, it just lends more, uh, willingness on behalf of accepting the recommendation. It's like, what else am I going to do? There's not a new movie coming out. <laughs> right. like it's, it's, it's this or extraction. I've already watched extraction. So I got something to do tonight. There you I'm go. not leaving the house. I'm not going out to eat with my wife. I'm staying in watching another movie for the 115th day in a row. Like, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> nothing's changed. Well, there you go. We did it, man. We did a podcast yeah, we did a, again. We did a podcast. Uh, it's great. It's been too long, and I'm glad we got a chance to do this again. Maybe it'll happen again uh, sooner than you think. Um, I really enjoy talking movies with you, so appreciate it, man. Likewise. Yeah, no, this is a, a good intellectual discussion, and I don't think we sparred too much, um, which is which is fun that we agreed. Yep. <laughs> I'll take it. Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Jonathan Paula for coming on today. Uh, really appreciate you, man. Where can people find you on the internet? What do you want to uh, tell them about what you do? Well, since my daughters were born, I've kind of retired from YouTube. But if you would like to find all my old work, some 3,000 plus videos... Uh, give Jogwheel a search on YouTube and I should come up um, or find me on letterbox.com slash John Paula J-O-N-P-A-U-L-A I am watching and reviewing movies basically every night I've watched let me check here something like uh, 16 movies in the last week so 
If you want to keep track and see what I'm writing and reviewing, that is a good place to keep up. When it's uh, when it's up, you know, when it's not down. Yeah, when the website's not. <laughs> it, this is probably temporary. It'll probably be fine by the time this podcast goes live. But it's frustrating that I don't have the resource open in front of me. It's probably it's about. probably down from the weight of your reviews, like all yeah, the content right. that you're putting on there. Just took them down. Uh, I, I feel I feel a personal connection because I found the site years back before it was. I think it was probably like in beta still, and I connected with the creators and the owners directly and kind of got in from the ground floor. So I, I feel a certain kinship to the site. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're one of their best spokespeople, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, also, huge thanks to Phil for producing the show. Appreciate you, producer Phil. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members as well for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Support starts at 3 bucks a month, and you can check out all the perks and such at patreon.com slash siftpop. Uh, lots of ways to connect with us. You can comment, rate, or leave a review at your podcast player of choice, uh, especially if it's Apple Podcasts. Uh, that's how they kind of do their listing and that kind of stuff, so that would help us out. Or you can email us, feedback at siftpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too, so let them know about it and that listening is much easier than convincing someone to cut off their own fingers. Uh, (laughs) We will be back next week. Um, If Andrew is back, we will get back to our Sift Shame reviews. Uh, Otherwise, we'll find something else uh, fun to do. But we'll see you then. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.